Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. When Jesus was with his disciples, there was all these um, kids that wanted to come see him when he was teaching. And all his disciples are like, don't bother him. Stop bothering him. Go away. Go away. And Jesus was not pleased. And he said, let those kids come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to these little kids. When you are jumping in with what Megan and Megan are, are a part of leading here at the Plant Church, you are, you are literally doing some of the, the primary things that Jesus called people to do. So I want to encourage you, uh, if there was something about that where you're like, it terrifies me, but God's on that, you, you, need, to, you need to jump in. Good? God wants to love on our little kids. Amen? Awesome. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, how many of you love the Easter season? This is the season of Easter. We started, uh, even though last Sunday was the first Sunday of Lent, we're starting our, our Lent sermon series today, uh, and we're going to be journeying together uh, as we move towards Holy Week, towards Good Friday, towards Easter. We're going to be reflecting on Christ Jesus as our King. Uh, the, the, the whole idea of that season is the season where uh, Jesus uh, is, is, in one sense, becomes King of everything, King of the world. Uh, and so we're going to just spend some time reflecting on Christ as our King. But as we get started, just I want you to just kind of think about what do you imagine when you think of a King? Not rhetorical. You guys can totally answer. You can, you, can res- you can work with me. You can respond to me. What do you think of when you think of a king? A crown? Ruling? Leadership? A leader? What else? Power? What else? Responsibility? Maybe riches? Wealth? Fame? A castle? Someone had to say it. Someone had to say it. Um, maybe some drama. I don't know. Maybe it's a modern royal family. Maybe there's a little drama. You never know. Uh, but yeah, we, we have ideas about power, about wealth, about fame, about responsibility, all these things. And we have this category called king. Uh, sometimes we've got some really bad ideas about king in terms of knowing some very corrupt characters throughout history, kings and queens that were uh, not the best examples and role models for their citizens. Uh, so when we think about Christ Jesus as our king, There's a lot of mixed messages. So as we journey these next several weeks, we're going to unpack some different aspects of Jesus's kingship, his royalty. But it's going to look a little bit different than you would think of typically uh, a king being. Uh, We're going to think about Jesus as the first of uh, a new kind of person, or, or maybe think of him as the kind of ruler that we were always supposed to have. What do I mean by that? Um, Going back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, 
Uh, it tells a story about God making and creating the whole world. And, he says, and the Bible says that he put humans there. And he put humans there to be in charge of the whole thing. To rule. Essentially, they, they were to be like kings and queens. They were to be in charge of everything, steward everything. And they were to be God's representatives on earth. How many are you familiar with how well that's going? It didn't go particularly well. Uh, humans decided that they were going to figure out how to rule the earth better than, uh, with their own wisdom, better than God's wisdom, and, and it created a lot of problems. So the whole Old Testament, in, in one sense, is the story of people looking for a new kind of king, a new kind of ruler who was going to do it better or do it the way God always intended. And so when we come to Jesus we see him described, especially by the, the New Testament writers, we see Jesus described as the firstborn of a new kind of human. He is the, uh, as Paul puts it in the book of Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God, going back to how uh, people were created in the image of God. Jesus is the, the representation of God that knew how to be a king really well. He knew how to be human in the way that we were always created to be human. You guys with me? And so we're going to look at these different aspects of Christ our King, and we're going to look at Jesus as the, the kind of king, uh, the kind of ruler that we are supposed to follow after and be like and imitate. So it looks a little bit different. We're going to talk today about Jesus' humanity. Uh, next week we'll talk about what power and authority look like with Jesus. We'll talk about his compassion, not always something you think about when you think of a king. We'll talk about his humility. Definitely not something you usually associate with a king. Talk about his obedience, his sacrifice, and ultimately his fulfillment. So today we're going to start the journey talking about Christ's humanity. And here's how I want to start this out. Just a really simple picture to put in your mind. How many of you are excited for summer in West Milford, especially after we had winter part three? This weekend, I was not thrilled about winter part three, guys. I, I was not happy. Um, I, I live on Greenwood Lake, and, and so I know my, my daughter asked the other day, where are the boats? And we're like, well, it's freezing outside. She's expecting to see the boats in the early spring. We've had a few warm days. She thought we'd see boats, uh, but we haven't. But how many of you are going to go out on a boat this summer on the lake, or you're going to, you have friends that are going, yeah, I know the Florquitzes are going out on a boat. Um, and you're going to go out on your boat, and you're going to enjoy the boat, or you're going to see the boats out on the water as you're hanging out by the lake or something, enjoying, enjoying the summer. And I want you to picture the boat out on the water, and I want you to picture what makes a good boat. What makes the boat good? Buoyancy. Boom. That's it. Basic, that's, that's super basic. Does it float? It's a good boat. Does it not float? It's a bad boat. It's not doing what it was meant to do as a boat, right? What about a chair? You're all sitting in chairs right now. What makes a chair good? It holds you. When you sit on it, it doesn't collapse under your weight. What? A lumbar support. Yeah, that, maybe that's like a secondary. That's a really bougie chair. That's a nice chair. Yeah, if, you, if you've got lumbar support, you're living large in terms of chairs. We're just like, basic needs here, it just needs to hold your weight. If you can sit on it and it doesn't collapse, it's a good chair. 
Let me ask you another question. What makes a good human? Classic Sunday school answer if I ever heard one. Thank you, John. <laughs> Jesus. Just like a, how, you, how do you know if a boat's working? How do you know if a chair's working? How do you know if a human is fulfilling its purpose? Humble, compassion, love, all sorts of different possibilities we might think of. Now, this is basically where all of society's problems come from, right? Because we all have different opinions or different definitions about what makes a a human good. And we live in a day and age, actually, where everyone, the, the general ruling thought is, everyone gets to decide for themselves what it means to be a good human. If every chair did that, we'd have a problem. If every boat did that, no one would go out on boats. So we have a challenge before us. What makes a good human? Now, we can say, ultimate Sunday school answer, just teasing you, John, is Jesus. Jesus makes us a good human. But that's actually a great place to start. Because when we talk about Jesus' humanity, Uh, Jesus was God, completely God, but he was also completely human. And Jesus, this is what I mentioned before, Jesus was the model for us about what it means to be a good human. Jesus is the one that shows us, through every action in Jesus' life, we get to see what it was supposed to be like at the beginning and what it can be like now. So when you think about how are we going to fulfill our lives, how are we going to uh, do everything that God put in you to do, uniquely and generally speaking as a human, how do we do what Jesus did? Now, here's the thing that I want to throw out to you. Just like a boat gets tested, you put it in the water, just like a chair gets tested, you sit on, humans get tested. You get tested, you get tried. The the word you're probably more familiar with, that it's interchangeable with, though, is tempted. The word parizo, in the story that we're going to read here in Matthew 4, 1 to 11, describes Jesus' temptation, but that word's actually really helpful because it's interchangeable with the word testing. To test something is to determine whether it's doing what it's supposed to do. Are you with me? To test the chairs to see if this chair is fulfilling its purpose as a chair. To test a boat is to see if this boat is a good boat. To be tested or tempted as a human, you fulfilling your purpose as a human. Are you with me? Now, how many of you If you're anything like me, know how many times you fail the test or fail the temptation every single day, not even week. And and we could be talking about, sure, big, like, moral things you might have coming to mind, but I'm talking about really simple everyday things, too, like withholding forgiveness from someone. Just way easier to hold a grudge. To get that last word in against your spouse when you're having an argument instead of holding back. Being impatient with your children, snapping at them. These are things that like test us and try us, the situations we're in. And, and they tempt us. And, 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 and they, when we 
fail the test, we sin. And you know what sin literally means? It literally just means to miss the mark. If there's a target that we're all aiming at, we're created to be human, to fully realize everything God put in our lives, to fulfill this destiny that God has for each and every one of us, there is a target we're aiming at, and sin means we missed that target. That's all it is. That's what it is. And so it includes things like moral failing. That's sin, sure. And I'm sure you guys have obvious ideas of sin coming to mind. But like I said, it includes other things like failing to forgive someone. It, it, it includes uh, when, when we destroy relationships through our selfishness. Did you realize uh, that whole, withholding a grudge and, and doing things like that, uh, they've actually done studies that it, it has physical effects on your body when you withhold forgiveness from people and you, and you don't let go. Because uh, they, they say bitterness uh, is, uh, you ever heard this? Bitterness is like taking poison and hoping it'll hurt someone else. That's what unforgiveness and holding a grudge and bitterness is like. But we do these kinds of things all the time and in doing so, we miss the mark of what it means to be fully human. And, and, and these things are actually destroying us. And when we explore, Explode those things on it. That's on a micro level. When you blow that up to a big picture level, unforgiveness, selfishness, uh, focusing and going after what we want at the expense of other people is what leads to things like war. So all of these things on a small scale, on a huge scale, are all tied into this idea of us as human beings missing the mark. And man, do I miss the mark a lot. And it's destroying who we are. But here's the good news today. Jesus modeled for us what it means to be a human who passes the test. Jesus showed us how to live well as a human, how to be a human who can be tested and live up to what we're called to be and who we're called to be. And we can be tested just like Jesus in every area of life and we can live well in the face of temptation, in the face of any kind of test, that we're dealing with and live out our, our full potential. And what I want to show you today is from this, this scripture, and we're just going to kind of walk through the scripture, is, is three kind of core uh, ways that each of us are tested or tempted. Really core basic. Your, your specific story, your context, your, your circumstances might be unique to you, but when we boil it down, all kinds of temptation, all kinds of sin, all kinds of testing, they boil down to three core issues. And when we recognize that, and we recognize that Jesus made a way for us to pass the test, we can live in his life, we can take on his life, and we can pass every test fully relying on the power of God, just like Jesus did. You ready to walk through this? So let's look at this. Matthew 4, chapter 1, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Just the first two verses here. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. So this is the story, like I said, Jesus' temptation. You might be familiar with it, um, but that word temptation. Uh, there, perizo, it, it can be really helpful and better translated as test. Uh, and, and that's really helpful to think about if you notice who it is that led him there to be tempted. It wasn't Satan that led him there to be tempted. It says, 
The Spirit led him there. God led him there to be tempted. Do you think God goes out of his way to try and tempt you? We, we kind of have like a negative connotation with that, but so that's why I think the word testing is very helpful and it's kind of interchangeable. But the Spirit, he, he's not trying to set you up to fail because that's how we think about temptation a lot, but the Spirit led Jesus and leads us to places of testing. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more in a minute. And we face the same similar kinds of tests as Jesus all the time. And in every single test, we have an opportunity to rely on God for three things. And these are the three tests we're going to talk about. We have an opportunity to rely on God uh, for every provision that we need. We, We have an opportunity to rely on God for every protection that we need. And we have an opportunity to rely on God for every, every situation where we are using power. And I'll explain what those mean in a minute. These are the three kind of basic things that Jesus experienced and you and I experienced in every temptation. So first, uh, let's look at the first one, relying on God for every provision. How do we pass the test and rely on God for every provision? Look at verse 3. During that time, this is just continuing the story, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus was really hungry. How many of you, 40 days and 40 nights, you'd be like, I can wait. I'm not hungry. I'd be starving. Sometimes I have a difficult time going from one meal to the next. Uh, Jesus was hungry. He was in a really weak place, and Satan tried to use this opportunity to twist the purpose of Jesus' humanity. What do I mean by that? He says, if you're the son of God, which you are, right? Hey, you're the son of God. Use your power and make this stone bread because you're really hungry. Now, could Jesus have turned the stone into bread? Absolutely. He had had the power to do that. He he could have done that. Is there anything inherently wrong with turning stones into bread? No, nothing wrong with it. What's the problem then? What's the problem? Satan was trying to get Jesus to misuse his role as a human who was totally reliant on God for his provision. Remember, who led him into this situation to be hungry? God did. God put him in a place of testing, of relying on God for everything. And Jesus understands this because of his response. No, people don't just live by the food they eat. They live by every word that comes from God. So for Jesus, he's like, it's not just about me filling my stomach, God is trying to teach me something through being hungry right now. For Jesus personally in this moment, he understood that God wanted to teach him something through the hunger, and it was to bring him to a place of even more reliance on God than he was on his own ability to get bread. How many of you find yourself in situations where um, you feel like God maybe like said, hey, trust me in this, I'm going to take care of you, and you last about a week, and then you're like, all right, i got to figure out a plan. Anyone ever done that? I do that. I, I, uh, we, we had a, a situation uh, before I was on staff here at the plant 
It's one of the first ministry roles that I was in in a full-time capacity, and I had to, I had to fundraise some support. And uh, it was going to be just a very challenging season, but we really felt like my wife and I, before we had kids, we felt like God was calling us into this. And, and we, we felt like God was saying, in this season, I'm going to teach you and what he said to me was, I'm going to teach you about lo- the loaves and the fishes. You know the story about God multiplying bread and multiplying fish? And I felt like God was saying to me, he's going to teach me about he can just, how he can just provide in crazy ways and multiply stuff beyond like, what it seems like I have available to me in my bank account. And so we, we felt like we needed to double down on that. So for us, as just a, a rule of thumb baseline, we, we give 10% of our income as our tithes and offerings. That's just what we do. So in that season, God said, give more than that. Whatever our income is, give more. And we're like, well, God, you know, we're going to actually be making less money stepping into this. So this is probably not a good idea for us to do. It doesn't make any rational sense. And he's like, do it. Okay. Um, we were terrified. We were full of anxiety. Anyone ever been in a place where you're just strapped financially and you're like, how am I going to make it to tomorrow? And and there came this point where we were just so freaked out. We were doing our our budget, our balance sheet each month, and we had the the formula in, so it would just show this red number if we had a negative uh, amount. And so we're like, okay, we have a deficit this month. We need this much, but we have this much. Uh, God, what are we going to do? How many of you have been there? And, and we, I, I really had to, in that moment, go, do I need to go? Do I need to uh, go? And maybe Jillian, you need to get another job until she was just starting her mental health practice at the time. Maybe you need to go do something else until you get more clients coming in. Maybe we need to, and, and we tried to find a way to provide for ourselves instead of trusting what God was doing in that season to provide for us. Are you guys with me? And, and so, we, we came to this moment where we had a particularly intense month where we were like, all right, the expenses are here and the income is here. It was the, the, one of the worst months ever. And, and Jillian was texting me, here's what the number's looking like. I, I, I can't remember where I was. It was somewhere else. And, and I just, I don't know what came over me. I just said, okay, what is Jesus saying? Are, are we done? Did we do the thing and we've trusted him and now we can go find our own way to, to provide for this? What is Jesus saying? And I I asked her, she texted me a few minutes later, and she just said, Jesus said he's not afraid of the big red number. It was just this clear moment of something changed in me, something changed in my wife. And and from that moment, not that we weren't worried at times, but the anxiety was never like it was before. And we're just like, okay, every month, all right, there's the number God's told us to be in this season. He's been very specific about what we do and what we don't do. Just trust him. Just trust him. Just trust him. Every single month, we had money left over. Loaves and fishes. I I don't know how. We learned some things. Every expense that needed to be paid was paid. Everything that maybe we didn't need that month, maybe we got the money for that. But we learned, what did we really need? What was God providing for? But every need we had was met, and there was always a little money left over to put on to the next month. Crazy. We did that for two years. We did that for two years. And it was, it was a time where we were tempted and tested. Are we going to be fully human, i.e. rely on God completely for our provision, or am I going to be tempted to do something different? Now, hear me. That doesn't mean don't be responsible and don't have a pay. 
things like that. But what I'm saying is, is God takes us into seasons with specific things in our lives where he says very clearly, you need to be tested in this way. You need to grow in this thing. And I'm going to bring testing to you to see if you will pass the test of being truly human. Are you going to live out your potential and follow me and rely on me and just see me take care of you over and over and over? And sometimes it didn't work out like that. Other seasons, I would totally not pass the test. And I didn't pass the test would crack under the pressure and the fear. Some of you, it's not financial. Uh, some of you, uh, maybe it's with relationships. Maybe you, you feel like God's like, hey, a relationship or something like that isn't for you right now. Maybe that's not what God's doing in your life. Uh, and, and you're trying to get around that. Or, or maybe God's got you in a specific job right now where you're going, but God, this isn't what I feel called to. But he's like, yeah, but this is where I have you right now. And you're trying to find your way around it to get to something else. Uh, and whenever we try and avoid the test, we're missing out on what God wants to do in us and teach us about how he provides. So think about your own life right now. Uh, are you in a test? Is, is the, the struggle and the tension you are in, is it a test? Will doing something different, will it take you outside of relying on God for every provision in the season you're in right now? That's the question. To see if you are relying on God for every bit of provision. Let's keep going. Every protection. We can rely on God for protection. So not only do we run into provision needs in our lives, we run into issues of feeling safe, uh, particularly safe with and around other people. Verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, If you're the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you don't, uh, even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now, here's what's interesting about this. There's not a question as to whether God can protect Jesus. Could Jesus send angels and, and, and protect him? If you were to jump off? Yeah. Absolutely. God could do that. And, and in fact, Satan even quoted scripture to Jesus to say, look what the Bible says. God's right there. Anyone ever had uh, used scripture or had scripture quoted to you? And they're like, I think you're trying to be manipulative using that. Or you're trying to be controlling or something. This is about uh, protection and relying on God for protection. And I want to just focus on this idea of, of manipulation. You see, Satan was giving uh, God something really true. He was giving Jesus something really true. Hey, God will provide for you. He will protect you if you jump off of here. But he was doing it in a way that was really manipulative. He was forcing a, a test of God that was just so unnecessary. He was trying to put Jesus in a position that just he didn't need to be put in. God wasn't asking him to do something like this. It was just a, a random test. Do you see the manipulation in that? A, a lot of times we deal with manipulative people in our lives, or we are manipulative in some way. And we hear statements like, well, you know, if, you'd loved, if you loved me or cared about me, you'd call me more often. 
Or, you know, if you really thought this was important to you, you would fill in the blank. I know that we all say these statements. We're guilty of using them. Uh, we're, we're guilty of giving in to them. And here's the thing about manipulative statements is they, they try and put up a front of love. They try and put up a front of uh, trying to tell you, hey, prove yourself that you actually care by doing what I want you to do. You see how they're very controlling. And this is what Satan is doing with God. And a lot of times for us, I know for myself, when I respond and give in to a manipulative statement, I'm usually doing it because I'm afraid of the And I want to protect my reputation against that. Instead of being more concerned or believing that God will protect me and protect my reputation if I say, no, thank you. Are you, are you guys following me? Now, not only do people do this, that's the easy place to start to recognize manipulation, but Satan tries to do this to you. You know, he'll throw a thought in your mind, you know, you'd be a better Christian if you prayed more. You know, you're probably not doing enough for your family. Throw the guilt trip on, throw the manipulation on. And what he's doing is is he's trying to generate fear that your reputation is not protected. He's trying to make you more afraid of other people or of God more than trusting God that he's protecting you. The basic thing this boils down to is, especially when he's saying things like, you know, you need to be doing more in your church. Otherwise, maybe you're not really following Jesus. What he's saying here is, you know, yeah, Jesus and his work on the cross was good for you, but I'm going to add a couple more things on. Jesus has fully protected, provided. He has guarded your life. Uh, when, when you left the kingdom of darkness, you were transferred into the kingdom of light. You are fully his child. You are protected from evil. And, and any time that manipulation comes against you, it's trying to get you and get me to be tricked into thinking, I need something more than what God has already completely given me. I'm not safe enough, but if I do this, then I'll be secure. If I appease this person in my life, then I will be protected and safe. So think about that in your life. Are you experiencing a test with a person who's being manipulative or maybe the enemy's got manipulative, negative stuff going through your mind? God wants you to trust him with every bit of protection to protect you, to protect who you are, to say, no, you belong to me. Nothing needs to be proven to anyone. We run into these kinds of temptations all the time. Finally, God wants us to rely on him when it comes to power. Now, before we read the scripture, I just, I just want to describe what I mean by power here, because power can be taken very, very negatively, This is all I mean by power right now and the way I'm describing this. Um, Every one of us has some kind of power. By that I mean influence, responsibility. Uh, You have maybe an ability or an authority to do something. You have some sense of power. If you're a teacher, uh, if you're a parent, uh, if you're an older sibling, if you're in charge of sweeping the floor, whatever it is, you have some kind of responsibility, some kind of influence. And no matter how great the power or little the power, 
The enemy always wants to try and tempt you and test you to use that power outside of how God designed it to be used. Did you guys follow that? Let's read this. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, to understand what's happening here a little bit, Satan is called, in in the Bible, he's called the, the king of this world because of our failure to, to live out uh, obedience to God and trust his wisdom for ruling the world all the way back at the beginning of creation, uh, the authority and, and ruling over the earth, that authority, we kind of gave it away. We were tricked by the enemy and suddenly he had authority. And so this is a very real thing that he's doing. He's not saying that He doesn't have this, and he's just trying to trick Jesus into thinking he has it. He has very real authority in this moment over the kingdoms of the world. And this is an alternative way for Jesus to take authority, right? We talked last week, remember, about how part of Jesus' mission was to reclaim and and take authority. And his obedience to God and, and his death and resurrection ultimately gave him authority over the entire heaven and earth. And, and so Satan knows what Jesus is after. And he's like, hey, you know, you, this is the thing that you want. You want to have authority. You want the nations of the earth. You want to bless all the nations and stuff like that. You, you want uh, to be able to save and rescue all of humanity. You can have them all right now. All you got to do is just bow down to me. Shortcut. Don't have to do the whole death thing. It'll be great, Jesus. Just do this. And, and, and Jesus is tested as to whether he's going to use the power that he has. Is he going to trust God with how he wants that power used? The responsibility, the influence, the ability? Or is he going to take a shortcut? I take a lot of shortcuts with the power and the responsibility that I have. How about you? I, I specifically, this last week, I was telling my wife, I had a moment, honestly, with, with our three-year-old where, as, as the parent, I, she was not doing what I wanted her to do. Classic toddler, right? And I got to this point where I just wanted to yell at her. And I was thinking to myself, I realized my like, subconscious thought was, I just want her to be just afraid of me enough that she'll do what I wanted her to do. Now, if you're a parent, you know, that's real. I've been there. I've been in that situation, right? It's not that surprising. Just an honest moment, recognizing that that test in me. And oh my gosh, it it took everything to not yell at her. But I recognized in that moment, that was a test of how I was going to use power as her parent as someone who had influence in her life, was I going to take a quick, easy route? Or was I going to do the long labor of love and patience? How many of you parents 
teachers, you have coworkers, people where you're like, if they just feared me just a little bit, this would be a whole lot easier. Or if I were to just do something that probably wouldn't be walking in love the way Jesus would ask me to, I could get a whole lot more done. Anyone ever go there? I, I think this is a big one for us. I could get a whole lot more done. It might be easier, but is it actually the way to fulfill being truly human? And, and when Jesus lives his like life of love, this is why he's such a different king, is the way he used his power in this moment. And he was done at this point, and he just said, Satan, get out of here. I'm done with your nonsense. So recognize those moments. If you're a parent, a, a teacher, a boss, a coworker, a friend, whatever those relationships are, whatever those responsibility things are, maybe it's not a relational responsibility, maybe it's a task responsibility, maybe you're a contractor or something, and there's easy ways to just cut corners, and no one will know. Are you being tested in that? How are you being tested with power? And are you going to rely on God to use power well? Just like Jesus did. Every power he wants us to use it. Use it well. Then it says, then the devil went away after Jesus said this. And the angels came and took care of Jesus. Isn't that kind of funny? The very thing he said he wouldn't do... And then the angels come and take care of him. His term. I'll protect you. Just trust me. The, the image in the scripture is supposed to bring to mind Elijah at the stream and the ravens bringing him bread. They probably brought him food. The word ministering actually uh, literally means like he was being served a meal. And so he ate and was nourished and was protected. All of the things he wouldn't do on his own terms, God provided. And then this launched him immediately after that into his public ministry. And the power of God that was on the life of Jesus just began to flow constantly. And everyone everywhere was hearing and experiencing the healing power of Jesus. So what do we do with this? That's great, but he was God. I passed the test so little. But here, here's what I want you to see. Hebrews 4.15, and then we're just going to, just some very practical things to apply this. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 describes Jesus as the one who was tempted, tested, in every way, in all things, but without sin. He never missed the mark. Think about that. He was tested, say this, in every way, in all things, but without sin. Now, you could think of some pretty messed up stuff. Jesus was tested in it. This isn't the full, what we just read was not the full extent of temptation and testing in Jesus' life. We know there were other moments. But think about it. Jesus tested in every way? There is no temptation that you are experiencing that is unique to you. It, it, 1 Corinthians also says that temptation is just common. This testing and what we experience is common. Your context, your individual story might be different, but the core issues that you are facing, everyone faces. Everyone faces. And Jesus even faced. And because Jesus has walked this way first, you can take on the life of Jesus 
so that you can rely on God to pass every test. And this is why the early followers of Jesus called it the way of Jesus. This is a way to be human. This is a way to live life in fullness. So how do we do this? How do we pass the test? How do we live in the fullness of being test passers? How many of you were good test takers in school? I was like, man, some of you, I don't like you guys at all. Uh, I would get so like, I don't know. It's like, this one's good, but this one's also a good answer. You know those? Were you guys good at those? It's not fair. Uh, It's not fair. Um, But here's the thing. When you enter the family of Jesus, you become a great test taker. You can become a great test passer. And, And here's just three practical things that set you on the path to passing the tests that come into your life. Every temptation. First, we have to start with confessing our sins because we have missed the mark. Amen? I have missed the mark. I have not lived up to the fullness of how I've been created to be as a human. I have failed many tests. And here's how you confess your sins. Uh, You don't do it privately. You have to do it in community. And you're going, ah! It's okay. It is awkward. You feel exposed. Find someone that's safe, that's a follower of Jesus, and do this with them. Name the sin specifically. Name specifically. Here's how I have given, uh, I've failed the tests of power. Here's how I've failed the tests of provision. Here's how I've failed the tests of protection. Just name things. Specifically, here's this time. Spend time, here's what I did. I, I went away with a friend of mine. Uh, a few years ago, and, and we did a life confession. We did like an overnight retreat, and, and um, if you're new, you're going like, this guy's insane. He's so insane. We went on an overnight retreat, and we did a life confession. We spent like a couple weeks leading up to it, just kind of asking the Holy Spirit on our own, just point out to me the sin that I need to confess, because you know, you're going to forget, like I took M&Ms from Grandma's bowl that she said not to take. Like That didn't come to mind, but things that like, the Holy Spirit brought to mind, I, I, was, I was writing these down, and we just confessed this stuff. We also confessed things that we found out that were secrets in like, our family history and family tree that families want to keep quiet, because those things tend to perpetuate in generation after generation in different ways, in the sin. There's a whole other sermon on that. Um, but, but we just began to very detail specifically, here's the sin, here's what I did, here's how I was missing the mark, here's how I was not trusting God in this. And, and we just began to unpack that and pray for each other. And, and here's the beauty of it, it says in 1 John, that if we confess our sins, it, it doesn't say that we have fellowship with God, it says we have fellowship with each other. And that's so powerful to me that that we are the Christian community, the representations of Jesus to each other, right? Because we have Christ in us. And when you confess your sin and open yourself up like that to each other, there's a fellowship that forms. There, There is a bond where we recognize we are only here in this place but by the grace of God. And it, it, it's just something, it's just such a gift. And you begin to live this confessional life. Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor in Germany, World War II in Nazi Germany, kind of railed against the, the Third Reich and, and worked tirelessly against it. But he, he, they formed this underground theological school that was 
trying to, to resist what was happening in Nazi Germany. And they spent so much time in community. He, he wrote this classic work called Life Together. And, and in that, he, he had this whole thing on confession. And he wrote this. He just said, in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. In confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. It's in confession of sins that we begin to recognize how much we need God's grace to hit the mark. And it brings humility into our lives. It brings compassion for each other into our lives. We could talk about confession all day. Second, though, we, we, we go to Scripture. You notice how Jesus always had a Scripture. He was ready to respond to Satan with Scripture. And Satan used scripture, but God actually knew, Jesus knew, this is what the scripture's purpose is. So knowing scripture, Psalm 119 says that I've hidden your word, your scripture, in my heart so I might not sin against you. It is scripture that grounds us into not missing the mark. It's the wisdom of God that we get to live out in our lives. And it helps us to hit the mark. And third, finally, we repent. We repent, we turn, and we now follow Jesus, and we follow his way. We follow his way of human flourishing. We follow his way of what it means to be human. We turn from our own wisdom of how I'm going to get provision, how I'm going to get protection, how I'm going to use power. We turn from all that, we've confessed it, we've laid it aside, and we take on the way that Jesus wants us to use all of those things and trust God and rely on God for those things. So you, I want you to think about this where you have experienced and been overwhelmed by temptation in your life, God wants you to see it as a test. When, when you've seen obstacles in your life that are overwhelming you and they're testing you, God wants you to see it as an opportunity. You see, he put, this is amazing, the Holy Spirit put Jesus in that place and he used the devil like a pawn in order to display how amazing Jesus was. Isn't that incredible? You ever think about that? God totally just used the devil. So when you are facing temptation, testing, obstacles, all these things, I want you to remember that even though you've seen it as this overwhelming thing, yeah, maybe you need to get a different group of friends and change some habits. I'm not denying that. That's practical advice to do. But I want you to see this as not something that is insurmountable. I want you to see it as a test that God is designing for you to pass. When you see an obstacle in your life, lean into it. Embrace what God's teaching you in that season because he doesn't want it to be an obstacle anymore. He wants you to see it as an opportunity to grow in trust just like Jesus did and live out the fullness of what it means to be human. Amen? Do you all have your communion cups? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and, and, and I want to pray for us and, and we're going to take communion together as we close. This right here is, is thinking about Jesus' humanity in a nutshell. His body and his blood. Broken, poured out. And we're going we're gonna to worship here in a minute. But as we do, I, I just want to invite you to stand. Jesus is inviting you into sharing his life of what it means to be really human. And that requires of us the same thing it required of Jesus. Brokenness. 
to confess, to be vulnerable, to come honestly before him and before others. And so just as Jesus reminded us, this is his body Take and eat. And just as he said that, he also said, this is my blood. It's been shed for you, poured out for you. And he even goes this far. He says, I'm not going to drink from this until I drink it again new with you. Jesus is looking forward to a day where he celebrates with each one of us the ultimate passing of the test, how we've been reunited with him forever. Let's drink. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.